Welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. As instructional coaches and school leaders, you have a challenge to guide continuous teacher growth that promotes student success. This podcast looks to support you with strategies from our experienced guests and insights that I've gathered across many years. I'm thrilled you're here. Thanks for listening. Expectations as a Foundation for Coaching, Part 1. What follows is a presentation and conversation from Nicole Turner's Coaching Summit 2023. Nicole asked me to share expectations and foundations, and I decided to especially consider elements from my early days learning about and implementing coaching strategies in many different settings. I wondered if some of the current instructional coaches who are newer to their careers were unaware of these elements from the beginning days of coaching in schools. In part one, we address continuous teacher growth, teaching as a team sport, and backwards planning. I hope you enjoy. Well, um, I, I, I had to laugh because when you first had the conversation with me about the, uh, the topic looking at expectations, uh, and foundation, the, uh, the joke came to my mind that I, I used to do and I'd introduce myself to, to an audience and say that I had been, uh, I had been invited to speak at the college at the foundations of education course and that I, that I thought it was an honor. And, and then I realized that maybe the reason I was being invited is because they thought I was there at the, at the foundation of it. <laughs> and, but as I, as, as I thought that through, it actually really applies to, uh, to, uh, it, 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 instructional coaching. Uh, pretty close to the foundation is, uh, is when I arrived on the scene and, uh, uh, Jim Knight and Joellen Killian and I, the three of us were featured in one of the uh, first uh, uh, training uh, videos that was made for uh, for coaching. And uh, just to give you a sense of what it was, it came out as a, a, a v- VHS for a VCR player. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely was a while ago. <laughs> and But what the interesting part was is Jim and Joellen and I hadn't met each other yet, uh, and they had filmed each of us individually. So it was uh, it, it was after that that uh, that we that the three of us had lots of opportunities uh, uh, to to work together. So um, I, I decided when you asked me to uh, to speak on this topic, I, I'd look to bring some uh, historical perspective to it. Oh, perfect. So um, what I thought I would do is take you through what I see as some of the foundations of thinking um, behind uh, instructional coaching and and behind uh, behind coaching. So I'm grounded in the belief that uh, everyone deserves a coach. And frequently you'll find things in writing that everyone needs a coach. And uh, I I decided to to flip those words from from need to uh, deserve. Uh, teaching is a, uh, a complicated field. All of education is a very complicated field. Yeah. And if you're going to work at something that complicated, 
um, you, you, uh, you, you deserve being coached. And uh, I, I, I describe it from the standpoint of that there is no mountaintop to teaching. So as you're climbing the mountain and you think you're getting there, you only find out that you had uh, cloud cover. And uh, when you got there, there's another whole, uh, a whole area to uh, tackle. So I, I, I describe education as the one area where you can work and you don't have to worry about uh, mastering it prior to retirement. Uh, <laughs> Facts. <laughs> this is so I, true. <laughs> I, I look I look at it that if you take everything you know about teaching and learning and you put it inside of a balloon, the uh, the outside of the balloon uh, represents the area for further study. So as people take part in in the uh, in, in the conference with you uh, and they they go through days of learning, it's actually less the learning that they leave here with and more how the learning that they got here is going to drive the uh, 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 future learning. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I'm going to share this uh, short clip from uh, Dylan William that I think really sets the stage here of the concept of everyone deserves a coach. I think the only way you can improve quality is a culture of continuous improvement. And that is given lip service in many districts, but nobody's really facing up to what it really needs in practice. You see, I think that every teacher needs to get better. In many districts, they target help at the teachers who need support, who need help, who are having difficulties. Well, you know what? Every teacher has difficulties. Every teacher fails on a daily basis. If you're not failing on a daily basis, you're just not paying attention. Because we fail all the time. Many of you will walk out of this room absolutely convinced I said stuff I know I didn't say. As teachers, we fail all the time. We teach these brilliant lessons, we take in the notebooks, we look at what the kids have written, and we wonder what planet they were on when we were teaching this stuff. Our daily experience as teachers is a failure, which makes it the best job in the world because you never get any good at it. At one time, Andre Previn was the highest paid film score composer in Hollywood. But one day he walked into his office and he quit. And people said, why did you quit this amazing job? He said, I wasn't scared anymore. Every day he was going into his office knowing his job held no challenges for him. This is something you are never going to have to worry about. This job you're doing is so hard that one lifetime isn't enough to master it. So every single one of us needs to accept the commitment to carry on improving our practice until we retire or die. That's the deal. So when when I put myself into that setting, I kind of, you know, jokingly have said to people that I I had to push back on retirement, even though the the years for it have come and gone. Yeah, but I've had to, I've had to push back because I've I've got too much to learn. And uh, a few weeks back, I I wrote a uh, I wrote a blog that had had something about uh, Chat GPT in it, and I thought, you know, had I retired six months ago, I wouldn't even know what Chat GPT <laughs> is today. So there's a whole group of teachers started this school year not knowing that there was something new. They were going to have to to learn 
and 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 figure out the implications of it uh, as uh, within this school year yet. It's just just amazing. Yes. Uh, Nicole, you got any 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 response to that piece? Um, I truly believe that this is true. That we definitely have to um, know that all of our teachers, and I talk about this all the time, Steve, that all of our teachers do deserve a coach. That they that I when I come in, you know, at the beginning of the year, um, I, I work with coaches, and me as as the coach in the building, I've always went and had my conversation with my principal, right? So I would set my vision, talk about what it is that we're going to do, and in that meeting, I always ask. Are how are we identifying teachers that I'm going to work with? And so many times, of course, those te- those principals they want to give me the teachers that are struggling or the teachers that are clearly below <laughs> where it is that they need to be, right? Um, so I always say I would never walk into a classroom where I have all students that don't need me. Right. So I want to work with with teachers who all need me just because, you know, I always I always say as well. I talk to them and say about, you know, we have to work with the students, even our but, you know, we always tend to go to our bubble kids. Right. It's like, oh, these are the students that I'm going to get. But we need to look at our high achieving students to see how we can grow them and our lowest of low students and see how that we can grow them. Um, so when I talk and I set in that meeting, the beginning of the year, I always say, I don't just want your struggling teachers. Like, don't just give me that, but give me teachers who are doing really well in the classroom so that we can see how we can now help them to grow as well. Because just like you said, every coach, um, I mean, every teacher deserves a coach, but every teacher also deserves to grow. Right. Yep. And so yep. that's the that's the point of that of that message. And so I absolutely love what he talks about the challenges. And we were just talking a moment ago, you were talking about retirement. And it's like my mom is still teaching and she is <laughs> in her 70s. I think that and she, bet she learned just, I bet she learned something this year, didn't she? Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> and she does. And she really talks a lot about um, you know, like staying up with technology, yeah. you know, and it's kind of like she learned to text and she learned to check <laughs> her email and she learned. So she's really staying up with what's happening and what's going on um, right now. But she is old school, Steve. She's very <laughs> old school and and her students learn. I, it is so much. It's kind of a, a mixture of that old school way of doing things with some of the new school thinking. Right. Um, and being able to help those students to to kind of move forward. And I just absolutely love that. Um, and I just love that we will not master when he said that we will not yeah. get to master this craft. But what we can do is continue to grow, even you and I, right, who have been in this in this field, you way, way longer than me, but I'm hitting <laughs> almost my 20th year. And I just look back to, I remember when I first started teaching, it was four block. Do you remember four block? Yep. Where it was sure. the red, the yellow, the green, the blue, you know, we had these different things. And now we're on a science of reading and something completely different. So we will always continue to grow um, in the field. And that is what's super exciting. Let me take you to uh, one of my one of my next ones. Uh, whoops. Uh, foundation for me is that teaching is a 
is is a team sport uh, and therefore needs to be a public act. Now, I came into teaching uh, in the 70s <laughs> as a team sport. I did I did all of my initial teaching as parts of teams. So I've always had a bias towards the thought that kids were better served by a team of teachers than a than a than an individual teacher. But I believe that today uh, teaming uh, is a uh, is a necessity and a requirement. And the reason is that the complexities of what schools are being asked to achieve has just continued to go up and up and up. So I use the example years back, if you were a biology teacher, you could sneak in the back door, teach your four periods of biology and sneak back out. And as long as kids got good biology scores, everything was fine. Yeah. But today the biology teacher is going to be accountable for students' writing abilities. Yeah. And the language arts teacher is going to be accountable for kids' ability to work with their biology text. And, and you can't tackle social, emotional, and executive functioning skills as, as an isolated teacher. So functioning as a team becomes critical. And that's what pushed me to the next, to the connected piece there. Then if people are going to function as a team, they have to develop a high degree of, of, of trust. And I can't figure out how to get that trust if you never get an opportunity to see each other work. If, if you don't see the results of what your colleagues are doing. So um, in, in my mind, a critical role of an instructional coach is to be building the sense of team uh, a, a, among a faculty. Now, I, I want to take that a, a step further in bringing out um, my definition of, of, of team, uh, because I'll I, I'll come in and I'm working with a group of folks and I'll say, how would you, how would you rate the level of team at your school? And I'll people say, yeah, we have really good teams at our school. And uh, I'll ask, well, give me a, give me a indicator. You know, what, what, do, what, what happens that causes you to say they're a good team? And people say to me, well, we share everything. So I wrote a blog, sharing versus teaming. <laughs> sharing is really nice. It's a good step along the process, but it's pretty far away from functioning as a team. So I, I created this continuum because I found out what a lot of people were calling teaming was really franchising. Uh, so on my continuum here, when people are working all the way at the left-hand side as individuals, you know they're individuals because they complain about having to go to any meeting. And the complaint is, this is my time, I should be doing my work. And I'm not labeling that as a, uh, as a negative trait on a person. I'm, I'm, I'm labeling it as that's the mindset that they're, that they're working from. Um, sharing just takes you this next step. So uh, people are willing to help each other. So now I'll, I'll go to a PLC meeting and, and uh, Nicole, you'll talk about a struggling student that you got and we'll take three or four minutes for all of us to offer up some ideas. Yep. But when you leave the meeting, you don't have to use any of those ideas. You don't have to report back to us on what you did or what you found. Um, it, it, we're just being nice by, by being helpful. So, I identified that what people were calling team meetings were really franchise meetings. And what I mean by that is there were five second grade teachers. They met once a week 
they called it a team meeting. But when I went to the meeting, I found that it was a franchise meeting. Each of them owned a second grade. They came mm-hmm. in and they exchanged tips and strategies. But when they left, they went back and ran their own business. So people who own a franchise restaurant go to franchise holders meetings. They exchange tips and tips and strategies. But when yeah. they go back to their own restaurant, it's totally uh, their own business. And that's what I found. You know, uh, the biology teacher goes to the science department meeting, but she's totally accountable for biology results that that's not connected to the science department. People begin to move from franchising towards team when a teacher will change a uh, an, an individual uh, practice uh, because she thinks that the team functioning together is better for the kids. So my example is the the freshman teachers decide on a uh, on a note taking strategy that they're going to use, and if I was picking my own strategy, it's not the one I would pick, but I'm pretty sure the kids are better off by all of us across the content using the same strategy and and, and reinforcing it. That's movement towards being a team. But I truly become a team when I take shared responsibility and accountability for all the students' achievement. So when those five second grade teachers go to a team meeting, if it's truly a team meeting, every individual teacher is responsible for 100 second grade kids. And the student may never be in my classroom, but you're bringing that student to our PLC meeting because all of us at that PLC are accountable and responsible for that success. Uh, I was at a high school and saw the high school principal come to the math department. He laid down a group of the names of a group of kids who hadn't passed the ninth grade uh, end of course state test the year before. And he said to the math department, I need a plan. He wasn't looking for a plan from the two teachers who were gonna have those kids in their class. He was looking for a plan from the entire math department. So now teachers who weren't teaching those students were going in and observing the students in the other teacher's classroom. They were bringing the students' work to this to the math department meeting, and they're working together on a plan. So they had established a common goal. So I see that a task for instructional coaches to take on is to build that sense of team. And in order to build that sense of team, you got to create an environment where people will step forward and be vulnerable. And then that vulnerability will lead to trust. And the other part that I found critical to that is actions. Yes. Teachers don't want to go to one more meeting where 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 not where nothing happens. Uh, so I see a, I see a critical role for coaches to play in creating this environment, but at the same time being cautious, and and that is. The PLC meetings need to be owned by the teachers uh, rather than by the instructional coach. So if the instructional coach is 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 uh, helping and facilitating and teaching people how to be an effective PLC, that's one of the pieces of, of building, building this team. Um, so were I a principal and I had an instructional coach, my expectation would be that part of 
the success of the instructional coach is visible by the degree to which I see the sense of team across the staff increasing. Now, the administrator has a role in that as well. Uh, and I think it should be part of the planning between a coach and an administrator. I'll have people who will describe to me, you know, we really don't have a, our, our teachers really don't function in that sense of team. They, they function as individuals. And then my next question is, what's your plan for this year? Okay, so you, you can't jump in at the team spot here. If what you're telling me is most people are working as individuals, what's your leadership plan, instructional coach leadership, principal leadership to start moving people across there? Thoughts, Nicole? Yes. Yeah, so I wrote out some notes. <laughs> <laughs> this is excellent. Um, I absolutely love how you bring the trajectory of individual to team, like how to get the crosswalk. Because many times, Steve, we talk about or we attend conferences and we get the idea of what it should look like. But no one tells us the how it should look like or the trajectory. You know, we go in and we feel like, oh, I want to create the team and I want to, you know, do this in POC or in our meetings or whatever it is that we call. Because, you know, at every school is, it's, has yeah. a different name. Um, but we don't know how to get there. And if we try it and then we don't, we're instantly not at the shared responsibility for student achievement we think we failed, but in reality, we've moved to the second part of this trajectory. And so having that information laid out like this um, for instructional coaches, I think is, is awesome. I think it is, is good for them to have that. Okay. So my first question would be, um, so you've mentioned ownership of the meeting being the ownership of the teachers. And I know one question I get a lot of times is that I, I try to tell coaches or to support them is I agree, teachers should own that POC or that meeting. However, coaches need to be facilitators, right? They're the people who are going to have that. And so I wanted you to kind of explain the difference between ownership and leadership or facilitate well, for facilitation. So let me put let me put uh, just one um, addendum to what you said. I think eventually, instructional coaches should be moving out of the PLC meeting. Okay. And eventually, the instructional coach should be a resource that, from time to time, the PLC is requesting. So that's our ultimate goal. That, that's our I think, end goal. I think that, yeah. So, but okay. you can't get there. You can't get there until people uh, uh, develop the uh, the skill set of being able to work together as a group. And yes. historically, we haven't made that part of uh, of, of teacher ed. So, it, it, I, I think the the in, instructional coach's role in the PLC meeting initially is facilitating, teaching, modeling how that works. Now, the key to teacher ownership even then is that the agenda for PLC meetings should mm -hmm. be set at the end of the meeting. So if the if as the meeting comes to an end, we're setting the agenda for the next meeting. Yeah. And and that's a way for the people there at the table to own that that agenda. Definitely setting those expectations. Um, oh. yeah, go ahead. You, yeah, you got another question yet? Well, yes. How do do? So how do we 
I'm the coach. I am helping to, so I met with my principal. I've convinced or got my principal on board, right? So I'm like, hey, I went to this conference. I've learned this is kind of the way that we can traject. You know, I'm going to show them this video. I'm going to be, you know, all of that. So my principal's on board, gotten them on board. How do I now get my teachers on board? What does that look like when I go into, like, how do I start my year off with the trajectory of this? Because I know it's going to take time. Step well, number, how do I start my year off with that? Step number one is common goal. So I've started using a phrase, goals before norms. Oh, okay. So norms are important, but there's a tendency to start with norms. Well, you know, I, it, it, you may have to go to a PLC and work with somebody that you really don't like to work with that much. <laughs> and so there's a question going through your mind, well, why would I do that? Well, the reason you would do it is the goal that we're focused on the kids making that advancement is so important to me that I'd be willing to commit to the norms that the group's going to lay down in, in in order to get us there. Um, I came into a school in January, spent the day meeting with all the PLCs, and at the end of the day, I met with the principal and I said, how would you feel about uh, about the teachers setting new goals for their PLCs? And he looked at me like I was crazy because it was January. You know, why would we do that? I said, well, because they don't have any interest in the ones they're working on. You know, I'm guessing back to the beginning of the year, you ask them to set goals and either they picked what they thought you wanted the goals to be, or they picked goals that were, uh, that thought would be easy to track and measure. But I, 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 I didn't get the sense that anybody's burning a, a flame to make happen what they've got laid down there as a goal. So to me, that's really the starting point is, is getting people to agree uh, up, upon things that they want to achieve with the time that they're spending in that PLC. Love it. That was all my questions. Okay. <laughs> so an, another foundation, uh, and, and, and this is, uh, this is the backwards planning process that I, that I use in my, in, in my work. And so whether I'm working with an individual teacher or I'm working with a, uh, a PLC uh, department or a leadership team for a school uh, and even a, a system district-wide organization. Uh, whatever it is we're investing our time in, it has to have a payoff all the way at the top of this diagram in, in student outcomes, student standards, students' goals, what, whether, that's, uh, whether that's academic, whether it's, it's uh, uh, critical life skills, whether it's the profile of, of graduates that you're, that you're working on, um, our, our work, that, that has to be the, the bottom line of what it is that we, that we do. Now, with that identified, I then take my step backwards and say, okay, what do students have to do in order to cause that to happen? And I'll say across my years, this was the biggest part of discovery that changed my work. And, and I, I, I played with vocabulary for a long time. And finally, I landed on the phrase of student learning production behaviors. And that's what drove me to the understanding that teachers don't cause student achievement. Students cause student achievement. Yeah. Uh, if teachers are causing student achievement, they're cheating. Um, I don't mean that necessarily literally, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. but if the athletic coach can get kids to get muscles without the kids working out, it's called steroids. 
And so if we're giving kids tricks and gimmicks and strategies to raise their writing score or to master uh, math problems, it, it, it's steroids. The, the kids have to, do, have to do the work. And it was the performing arts teachers and athletic coaches that really helped me with that. You know, Once I figured out, I can't teach you how to play a musical instrument. I can teach you how to learn. But if the student doesn't go through the learning production behaviors, the learning's not going to happen. I, I can't teach you how to play soccer. Uh, I can teach you how to learn, but you've got to take on all the learning behavior. So once I realized social studies, science, math, writing, uh, the technology, whatever it is, it's, it's the same thing. The task of the teacher is to create the engagement of the student in the learning production behavior. So that now step, steps down. So the big difference that made with me is early, early in my coaching career, I spent a lot of time in classrooms watching teachers and giving teachers feedback on what the teacher was doing. Now, the majority of time that I'm in a classroom, I'm observing kids and I'm giving the teacher feedback on what it is I saw the kids do, which means in my pre-conference, I'm getting the teacher to describe for me what it is she needs to get the kids to do. And then my observation is observing the kids. When were they doing it? When weren't they doing it? And then the conversation the teacher and I are going to have is going to be built around moves that the teacher can make to increase the time that kids are engaged in the learning production behavior that the teacher needs. That's where my whole differentiation piece comes in then. So some kids need to be engaged in different learning production behaviors. So how does the teacher begin to orchestrate a classroom for that to happen? So now if you look at being an instructional coach, all the way down at the bottom here, as an instructional coach, whether you're working in professional development on a teacher's growth plan, professional learning communities, coaching, everything you're doing down at the bottom has to drive up to the top. But in order to get there, you've got to be planning backwards. So if you're working one-on-one -on -one with a teacher, you got to get a clear picture of the outcome that that teacher is looking to gain from students and then work down through the process. If you're seated with the school leadership team and the school leadership team has identified that they're looking for improved uh, math performance across the school this year, now we got to go and work that through the backwards process. Yep. So when you went into classrooms, what would you see kids doing that mm -hmm. would cause you to think math performance is going to go up? The student learning production behaviors precede the student learning outcomes. So you should be able to make predictions mm -hmm. that kids are going to do well. You know, it's like it's like going to if you went to football practice, what would you see the players doing at football practice that would lead you to believe that their 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 performance on the day of a game is is going to go up? That's the same piece we're we're looking at at at, at here with uh, with 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 teachers. You got a comment there, Nicole? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I am in love with this. I do do this. I think I do it in a different perspective because I work a lot or my experiences are more towards um, new teachers, uncertified teachers and struggling teachers. So I have not had, I mean, I've had some experience, but I've not had, if, if I will say to preference this, if you take 100% of my experience, 75% are working with brand new teachers, uncertified teachers, struggling teachers, 
period, right? The other 25% are growing those teachers who are um, who are veteran teachers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but 100% of this has happened in Title I schools where it is like, who did it? Why? What for? What's happening? Can I breathe today? Am I going to eat tomorrow? You know, like that <laughs> kind of stress. So I love um, that. So I, I think my perspective is just to give coaches other perspectives is like the teacher action part that planning mm-hmm. for learning. I have them to actually practice in that area. So like we would actually do a simulation together in the classroom um, with no students. Then the student, and the, but we would definitely talk about the student learning behavior. So like what should happen in that cl- in the classroom? And I think when I do my, as I call them snapshots, I know old school still calls them observations. But when I do my snapshots and when I go in to kind of check out what's happening with the teachers that are um, in the classroom, I like to make sure that I do a T-chart. So I'm kind of doing yeah. what you're doing. So I, I kind of exactly. write down what this teacher is doing based on the fact that I want to have the follow-up conversation from our practice session, right? Um, and then I talk about what the students are doing. But I also do this in my lesson planning. Well, I mean, when I do content planning sessions, it's so on point. It's so on point. When I do my content planning sessions, I also do time mapping. And so, because again, I'm working with those newer teachers that really need that like structured, um, I call it structured autonomy support, right? Um, and so with those teachers, we're going to plan out that 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 block and what it looks like. And we're going to identify what the teacher is doing and what the student should be doing at that particular time. So I absolutely love this component um with this i just i just like to marry them a little bit for I, well, our newer I, teachers i i, I want to connect for you you're 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 work you're you plan from the top down but you're working from the bottom up so what you're telling me is with newer teachers you need to take more time on the teacher planning action before you're ready to go up that that makes total sense yeah so that that's what's that you're, you're describing you're describing your your, uh, your your coaching piece. So you actually have the teacher rehearsing without students present. Yes. So you're developing that teacher action piece. Now the teacher's going to step it into the next piece, and it's looking for that connection. Yep. I really appreciated Nicole's thinking about my models and her additional comments that provide opportunities for coaches to reflect on their planning and execution of coaching. We continue the conversation in part two. In the meantime, be sure to check out Nicole's work and resources at simplycoachingandteaching.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, folks. I'd love to hear what you're pondering. You can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Steve Barkley, or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at barkleypd.com.